The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help us to bring you great conversations with great photographers. Support the show today with your monthly contribution through our Patreon effort at patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by FreshBooks. Discover a super intuitive way to make creating and sending invoices for your business efficient and simple. Try it out for free for an entire month. Visit freshbooks.com slash candid and enter The Candid Frame in the How Did You Hear About section. FreshBooks, it's small business accounting software made just for you. This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. There have been countless photographers who have traveled far from home and made a career for themselves photographing other people and cultures. Many have browsed through the pages of National Geographic magazine and have dreamed of a career traveling the world with a camera. But there are other photographers whose careers are born and thrive while being close to home. Instead of the foreign and the exotic, they turn their camera on the domestic and the familiar. Russell Frederick has been doing that in his neighborhood of Bed-Stuy in New York. He has spent years documenting the people that make his neighborhood come alive. He succeeds not only in putting faces to demographics and statistics, but also in immortalizing the names and the stories of the people that call Bed-Stuy home. All right. Well, Russell, welcome to the Candid Frame. It's a real, I'm really excited to, to have you. I love your work and uh, I feel real honored to have a chance to sit down and talk with you. So, so welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Ibadi Onex, uh, without a doubt, happy to be here. And um, it's, uh, you know, I'm just so sometimes just blown away just how technology can work and serve us well. I'm thinking about how you are out West and hey, we've, I don't think we've ever crossed paths, but obviously something, some good forces and I guess some, I guess some good work or my work has traveled somewhere across your laptop and, and here we are right now. So, I mean, that feels good. Yeah. feels really good. Yes. To be connected, bro. Well, for this show, uh, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who are from New York and, and who've photographed New York in a variety of different ways, you know, but what really attracted me about your work is that you're documenting a community that you're really emotionally connected to, not just the location, the physical, physical location, but the people and the Absolutely. community. And I think for, for a lot of people who aren't from New York, they have no idea what Bed-Stuy is about. They may have heard the name. They may right. have heard a, a reputation, but they have no real sense of it. Before we start talking about photographs, why don't you tell us about about your bed style? If if you know if you were asked to describe what bed style is, what is that okay. for you? Uh, great, thank you. Uh, bed style is one of the first cities, one of the only three cities in New York where Black people were able to buy land to be able to vote after the Civil War, open up their own businesses and uh, buy homes. The other three communities 
that black people historically were able, were welcome to do this was Harlem, St. Albans, and St. Albans, Queens. So Bed-Stuy is a community that is very rich in history as well as diversity. I would say we have every part of the world in Bed-Stuy, culturally, ethnicity. Bed-Stuy has always been a place for, I would say, family, for those who may be also trying to get their first apartment, whether as an individual or as a family, you could come to Bed-Stuy. It is a place rich in culture, food, faith. We have just, as I said, every part, particularly of the world, and particularly, I would say, uh, very strong, I would say, with the Caribbean culture, people, black Americans from the South, a lot of black Americans from the South moved to Bed-Stuy during especially like the 50s and the 60s, as well as to a very strong West African, Middle Eastern presence as well. Bed-Stuy is also a place very rich in the arts, so rich in the arts. Everyone, and, and also too in, in advocacy. Uh, Shirley Chisholm was from Bed-Stuy, and entrepreneurs Earl Gray's from Bed-Stuy, Lena Horne from Bed-Stuy, Lenny Kravitz is from Bed-Stuy, his mother Roxy Roker from Bed-Stuy, Chris Rock, I can go on and on, Notorious B.I.G., Jay-Z, and when you, you mix it all up, you have this great gumbo, you have this, this presence, you have this character, you have this strength, you have this class that is Brooklyn. Yeah, that is that is New York, and also to uh, this strength, it's undeniably. I mean, anybody from Bed Stuy is proud because it wasn't the place that people were proud to represent. So now that the community has become very vogue for hipsters and gentrification, the pioneers have always, you know, have been proud to say that even when it wasn't, let's say, uh, the popular thing to say. Yeah, I think for people who don't live in New York or are not familiar with New York, their first impression of Bed-Stuy was probably in Spike Lee's movie. Do the right uh, thing. Do the right? right thing. And, you know, when you, when you saw that film, how did that compare with the Bed-Stuy that you knew? Oh, it was on point. The Bed-Stuy, the do or die, Bed-Stuy is known, I think, to most through... Media, um, everyone knows the do or die part of Bed-Stuy, but Spike Lee's depiction was, I would say, very accurate. And when you think about in the film, he even, that film even touched on gentrification then with the white guy with the Celtics jersey walking down the block. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) you know, talking about how he owns a house there. and, And... Everything about the culture with fashion, with music, with its social awareness, politics, racial identity, all of it is factual. And as well as to the the, the people are just the gold of Bed-Stuy. Colorful as well as to fashionable, 
very real. I mean, um, everyone knows New Yorkers really don't mince words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the same thing I would say in, in, in Bed-Stuy, uh, what Spike Lee did, I think was, was, was just brilliant on so many levels. Uh, he, he made a film that really, I would say, showed us in a way that I don't think the world sees us and showed us more so not as a monolith. He showed us for our diversity, the characters in there. I mean, everything about the film was just really on the mark for me. I could say uh, that, that that film has a lot of teachable moments from it. And it's definitely one of my favorites by far. So tell me, when did you start to become aware of the fact that the way you saw yourself and the way you saw the people in community were looked on or looked at differently? I would say it was really in the late 90s and I would say early part of 2000, particularly at, you know, where the job I had few jobs I had in the 90s. At one point, I worked in healthcare, and then I worked at the Associated Press. And, you know, in the workplace, uh, hey, it brings everybody together from all over. And telling people where I lived, people say, oh, you live in Bedside, you must walk around with a helmet and a bulletproof vest. And ironically, I was really offended by it, because in all my years of living in Bedside, I'd never been robbed. I've never had a problem. I never got into a fight and particularly was just offended that all people saw about my home was its challenges and they were very well magnified, but no one really saw or it wasn't any recognition for, I would say, all the virtuous people who are the vast majority of Bed-Stuy. And in talking to people and hearing more this just typical depiction of the community just being a slum and being dangerous, people just not really even aware. And then also to Brooklyn just had this reputation where a place as you did not want to go. I just felt that it was being the best interest that this could be a teachable moment where I just honored the people and as well as to in doing reading and seeing newspaper articles, magazines, and just even certain to some music, it always just highlighted, you know, what the issues. So, so tell me, when, when was that sort of that critical moment for you when you realized that you could do more than just take pictures that look nice, that you were kind of pleased with aesthetically? And realize that you could do something that could convey how you were feeling about a people in a, in a community, that you could be much more proactive in terms of what you wanted to express with your photographs. It was in 1999, uh, 1999, 2000. I just, uh, in walking around the community, I remember coming one day out of my apartment and I saw like the, streetlights, aluminum streetlights were being taken, disassembled. And then a few days later, I saw like a cast iron 
streetlight. And in seeing this cosmetic change, I knew it was a bigger force or bigger reasoning or reasoning that just was not public knowledge why this change was occurring. And at that time, I just saw it as there's going to be some big changes. There's some big changes. The city has some changes, big changes in, in, in mind that we don't know about. And if this is happening and I saw other changes with the subway station being shut down to be completely renovated. And then I went to a community board meeting and found out that they predicted in 10 years that a studio apartment in Bedstuy was going to be a thousand dollars. And at the time I was paying four twenty five, mm-hmm. and that's when I just knew that this place was going to look completely different. They were projecting this place to look different and they weren't telling that us, they weren't saying that literally, but that was part of the plan. And I felt I had to aggressively just make, make a documentation, a visual document of those who made the community, those who chose to come to Bed-Stuy because it was a place that they felt comfortable. It was a place where they felt they could buy a home. It was where they saw a community that they identified with, the brownstones and limestones there. Every The community, I, I, ironically, was always just devalued. And when you think about it, it this just has to do with just, I would say, uh, who really defines what is of value and why are some places considered a little bit better or a little bit worse and all the infrastructure, which is also tied to that and politics, which are tied to that. And amongst that all, I knew that my people who I saw every day, good people who I spoke to and just walking around with my camera, I never saw them honored, never saw them in the daily news. I never saw them in media. I never saw these everyday good people, hardworking, family-oriented, diverse cultures, faith. I didn't see any of them represented in any publishing, and this was the overwhelming majority. So I also noticed that people who told our stories or authored the stories about Bed-Stuy, they weren't from the community. So you had outsiders, you know what, in positions of power, really, you know, dictating to the world something that was inaccurate. So I felt that it was my duty to honor, you know, what my community and people who also, too, trusted me with their vision, trusted me with their image to just introduce them to the world so that they could see a different side of black America, which isn't always told and told by somebody who looks just like them with their best interests. Because I'm, I'm really impressed by the level of trust that you are able to create with so many people that you photograph. I mean, some people you're familiar with just because they're part of the neighborhood or because you, you know, yes. you, you may be known, but there are other people who just, you know, don't know what to make of you. They're just a, this brother with a beard with a camera. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> and a brother with a beard with a camera for 14 years. <laughs> so, uh, walking around and, you know, what introducing myself, you are, 100% right, you know, with um, Ebert or Next, you know, uh, I just would walk the streets and some days not really having a plan, but I knew one thing, which was always a part of my mission was honor and respect 
And even when I may be photographing some people who may not be at their best is, you know, what to show them, have them even take a look at themselves and evaluate. Do they really like what they see or, you know what, or do they don't like what they see and what do they want to do about it in photographing the Muslim community and seeing how the Muslim community hasn't been fairly represented you know what I mean? Whenever you see a, right. uh, images of the Muslim community and their depictions, you know what? It's always about this radical Islam. But here it is. We have Muslims and Christians. We live in side by side. We have everybody. We have a Santeria church. We have everything in the community. And we live together. We eat together. And how I didn't see that when I looked at my picked the paper. And... Also, too, just knowing the power of the camera and letting people know my intentions. I just would tell people, you know, I'm looking to do a book on the community. I'm not sure exactly when it may come out. I'm doing it all on my own. I don't work for anybody. Could I have the can I have your blessing? And the vast majority of people said yes. And I would email people copies of the photos. I sent some prints to some people and people saw me all the time. And I can't tell you how many people just even referred me to other family members, or other people for work. Um, and with that and, and doing also exhibits in the community. So I have been in bed and have just been committed to just educating people about really who we are, because I think too much, too many people just see us as a monolith when we are so much more beautiful and diverse than that. Yeah. Even though you were living in bed and you were, you know, and you were familiar with a lot of people in the makeup of the neighborhood. Yes. How did your perspective on bed change as a result of photographing people, talking to them about the community? What did you learn about this, this town that you, you felt you really knew pretty well to begin with, but how did that evolve and change as a result of doing all this work? You know, I, I can't, I, I've just have gotten to learn really even how I, I've got to learn how people are. Some of these people are even greater than you can imagine. I mean, think about one gentleman, Mr. Eckhart bought his house in 1953 for $5,000 came out of the war and was offered the whole block for $20,000, but he couldn't afford it. Had his family there retired. And then I'm, I'm thinking about some of the Muslim brothers who I've just, I'm not a Muslim, but just in walking the streets and letting them know what my intention was and just how they were I mean, how much we all are had a lot of the same values and how how many incredible people you just may pass by and you don't even know. And and just this way of life that we all can be in our own tunnel, in our own lane, focus on what we have to do. And then if we just stop for a second and you know what, take some time to be neighborly to be friendly, just how much it can serve us all well in making our community better. I've come to just see really, I guess, with this tool 
of photography, how much of a conversation starter it can be, how much of a privilege it is, and my responsibility as a man and as a photographer, as a reporter I have, you know what, to those who don't have the voice, to those who have been invisible, to those who have been misrepresented, those who've been stereotyped, and then how much even of a vessel I am to those who, you know, are at a crossroad of their own lives and not necessarily sure how to go. Uh, some young brothers who I've met who just have made some bad decisions in, of, of youth or feeling of, of, of circumstance, gang related, and talking to them, offering some young men like, hey, come to my studio. I'll do some pictures for you. You want a family portrait? Just come to my studio. It won't cost you nothing. You just come with respect and we're good. Yeah. And how many of them have just said to me, you know, Russ, you really made me feel important by just wanting to take my picture when I didn't even feel at my best. Mm -hmm. And with your camera and seeing the skills that you have, bro, got nothing but love for you. Yeah. So it's, it's walking the streets and just, you know what, spreading some love and then coming back to you and just seeing how much really, I guess, that this is a gift that I've been chosen to do, I, I've been blessed with. And I guess if we all just really explore into our gifts, again, how we all can be, our communities, and how we all can just be better with that. Yeah. You know, on that on that point, you know, I was looking at some of the images and I was watching a video and you were talking about some of the people and some of the things that you photographed. Yes, and sir. it made me you know it refreshed my my awareness of how uh slippery slope it can be to mm -hmm. get into the system. You know? Yes, yep, um, yep. you know, you can get arrested and you don't necessarily have done anything or you may not even be charged or convicted of anything, but once you're in the system, um, right. it can set a whole bunch of things. Absolutely. And like it can it's like be a trap door. Right, exactly. And you had one uh, picture with someone who was arrested. Um, it was a friend of yours, and then he ended up losing his job because he was incarcerated for for two weeks. You know, he uh, he lost his home, and it just and when you you know you can be in a bubble when you're a person of color. You know, and if you're doing all right, you just kind of go on. Okay, I'm doing okay, and you're just trying to maintain. But then when you're privy to the ramifications of all that as a photographer, and you're seeing the, the impact of that in other people's lives and you're seeing how quickly it can take a downturn. What perspective does it bring to you about yourself and your work when you, when you're a witness to that? I think, um, when you, in, in witnessing all of that, even um, it just really lets, you know, I guess it lets, makes me feel that, I have a special responsibility because here it is. There's some people who just, one, are looking for some direction, who need some guidance. And I may be, you know what, a person that can be of some assistance to them. And I think when I think about my photography, I'm not just here to just do some vanity. Mm -hmm. I, you know what, particularly look, to have a conversation. I want to share. I want to uplift. You know what? I want to inform. And in getting 
close to people um, and people allowing me into their personal life. Again, I just uh, feel I'm just this liaison in some ways to try to, again, just raise awareness, bring out the best in people and not just the people I may be photographing, but also to just challenging others to think differently. You know what? Challenging others to, you know what, just stop for a moment and maybe take a look at your own life or take a look at this person, meet this person and really see what is it, you know what, you can do. How is it that you could be better? Yeah. Yeah. Besides watching my mom and dad write out checks to pay the bills when I was a kid, I never had any training with how to manage my money. It wasn't until I started having to work for myself that I began to realize how much I didn't know about money, especially around managing a business. The biggest challenge was just being organized, knowing what was coming in and what was going out, and most importantly, having an understanding of my finances that went beyond thinking of them just on a month-to-month basis. FreshBooks is a software solution that I think addresses many of those issues that I experienced early on. It not only helps to keep you organized, but it allows you to see how you're progressing when it comes to sustaining your part-time or full-time business. It's an easy-to-use, intuitive software that doesn't require an MBA to use, thank goodness. The latest version of FreshBooks has been redesigned from the ground up making it easier to handle every aspect of your business life, from drafting estimates, submitting invoices, and keeping track of your income and expenditures. It not only makes handling your finances easier, but provides you what you need to be successful. Visit freshbooks.com forward slash candid and enter the candid frame in the how did you hear about section. FreshBooks, it's small business accounting software made just for you. How did you start uh, to come to pick up a, a, a camera, what kind of training or study did you do to start figuring out what you could do with this thing? Oh boy, so, <laughs> I uh, don't have any. I have very little formal training. I uh, did not know I wanted to be a photographer at a very young age of twelve. I was like a graffiti artist. I, you know, what um went through. The uh, school, I went to the school of hard knocks, but along that path before I got there and during that, that, that journey in the school of hard knocks, I was in architecture school and you know what, that was not fulfilling for me, but tedious and the same thing. And then I got introduced to nursing school because my mother's a nurse and um, introduced me to that. But uh, I picked up the camera the first time in 1995 because some friends of mine, at my church, start started up a magazine, and they kind of told me about doing some fashion for the magazine, and told me I need to make a portfolio. And I was like, "What's that? I didn't even know." Mm. <laughs> I borrowed my mom's Canon AE one, and you know what? I just was enjoying it, and just was trying to discover really what this camera was all about. And it was in 1997. I read about introductory course of black and white photography. In Time Out Magazine at ICP, I saved up my money and just said, you know, I'm going to go see what this is about. I was trying to find really my place in life, trying to find my career. And I just didn't want a job that 
I just didn't want a job. I wanted a career. I wanted happiness. I wanted something that I could do forever. And I could feel I have a good legacy. And in 1997, on the first day of class, uh, it was an intro to black and white photography. My instructor, God bless his soul, Bernard Pillay, he, he looked at some of my work. He asked everybody to bring in some of their work, and he looked at my work. He asked me if I took these pictures. I said, yes, I did, and he told me I'd be a great photographer. I couldn't afford to pay for any, take any more courses at ICP, so I just went to Barnes & Noble's bookstore, um, but looked through magazines, photography books, and then I started just shooting voraciously. I would go into the bookstores and stay there for hours. I had gotten laid off from my job. And, and even at one point before I got laid off and I had my off days, I would just go to the bookstores and I would welcome my camera everywhere. Um, here it was. I was working at the hospital and I would be taking pictures of the staff while in between breaks. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, you know, with a, yeah, I, 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 was <laughs> definitely uh, focused. <laughs> that passion, that energy, that focus then led to me meeting Eli Reed. He was my neighbor. And I had no idea really of the scale of photographer who he was because I was just so green. Um, but it was a good friend of mine who lived in the same brownstone that he lived in. He said, you know, well, so I don't know who this guy is, but he just gets a whole bunch of photography mail. He's always filling up the mailbox and he's never around. So he must be pretty good. So <laughs> <laughs> and um, we met one day for lunch and uh, I had um, I was unemployed at the time, but I was just determined. I was I made this decision that I was going to explore into photography. I wasn't going to take another job in healthcare, and that this was just going to be a transition into my career. And with that, Eli gave me some pointers. I took heed to what he had to say, met up with him again, and um, he saw I was serious, and he invited me to an opening he was having at ICP. And I came, and that was the first time I saw his work. And when I saw his work, I was blown away. Yeah. Blown away. I didn't know, I didn't know the power of photography until that moment. And then I saw we were the only two black people in the whole room and then felt like, wow, we are minorities. I mean, and the respect he had, but, but to see the, where, how he, the level he was at, despite how we were such minorities in the field, it just was beyond inspiring. From there, he brought me into Magnum. I worked at the traffic desk. I managed the film for all the photographers. So photographers, wanted to get any film developed or process, I saw their contact sheets first. So whenever I would get contact sheets for any of the photographers, whether it was James Notway, Steve McCurry, or Slides, Alex Webb, Eli, Dave Lionel Harvey, we can go on and on, Jill Perez, I would just study them and study them and study them. And this turned out to be like it was Photography school. That's graduate school right there, man. Oh. <laughs> oh, so, wow. so that was my training. And then, you know what? I'm I'm shooting in the morning when I'm going to work. I'm shooting when I get off. I'm shooting on a day off. I'm shooting on my lunch break. And then uh, from there, I, I got welcomed into the Associated Press. I did a workshop at the Associated Press while I was at Magnum. It was called Diverse Visions. They were trying to recruit some people of color, 
you know, to become photographers. And then I, I got hired to work in the photo library at the Associated Press. And being there, again, was a whole nother training, seeing these, I mean, seeing the world on negatives, seeing four by five negatives, eight by 10, but just, again, seeing the magic and the power of photography and then learning the business side of things, of editing, the structure, you know, just how even the, just, you know, what the, I would say, the strategy that goes into even, you know, what, uh, when there's a crisis going on in a certain part of the world and then how you market yourself. So between those two jobs, I learned a hell of a lot and I could only just give thanks to, you know, the man above for just guiding me and, and all the great people who just gave me a chance when I didn't have the credentials, but they saw work ethic. They saw a passion. They saw someone willing to learn and, you know, someone determined. And I'm just most grateful. And every time I make pictures, you know, I just I got to give thanks to all of these great people who saw something in me that I didn't even know yeah. at the time. Having the chance to go through all those photographers' work, particularly at Bagdam, and you're seeing their sort of the unedited work. Yes. And then you eventually see what ends up getting gets released to the world. Yep. Right. So what did you learn about the process of making choices about your photographs from from these photographers and how did it end up applying to your own work? Uh, what ended up what I what ended up happening um, was I just really saw how much some of them did with so little. That is probably the first thing I just saw how these Men and women, particularly, were just very like they, they, they were just like a, they were like snipers. Like they, you know what? Some people shot a lot, you know, and I mean, like Alex Webb shot a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like a lot of Kodachrome. I mean, he would go to places, and I mean, I remember I have to order like a hundred rolls of Kodachrome. And then when you saw what was on the walls, you really see just, again, in some ways, just how a master works. You also, I also got to see how some, that I also got to see how to develop a story and that this isn't necessarily, you know, what, what they did wasn't necessarily like parachute journalism. These you know what? These people were very strategic and committed to the long term, as well as to trying to show in, in, in some capacities, I think, multi layers, many layers to any story. So I also learned about just really connecting with people and that how pictures are a reflection of really of you. People will learn about you in looking at your photos. And and also to that pushing boundaries, getting close, you know what, not working with a zoom lens. I don't think anybody at Magnum works with a zoom lens, really. Very few. They all pretty much work with 35 millimeters, like a 35 lens. All of these, the majority of them all shot with Leicas and they would all be 
they they knew how to be subtle. They knew how to connect. They knew when to be quiet. They knew when to be assertive. They knew when also to, when not even to have your camera out. That's something else I could see. And then also to some respect, like some pictures that were taken that just did not, I would say, probably honor some people in the best way. And they've never gotten seen. I can tell you that I've seen that a lot. And, and some pictures that would, in another agency, they would have definitely been published mm-hmm. without a doubt. But how you, I also came to see about the importance of, you know what, of owning your work, main owning your work. I mean, when I think about a lot of these photographers that like the Associated Press, they don't own the work. They may have the salary, they get the equipment, but you know, here it is, if you want to go to someplace maybe like Magnum, you can't take that portfolio with you that you created for 10 years. You can't sell it. You don't get the royalties on it. So I learned so much about humanity, when to push the shutter and when, you know what, to when to leave it alone, when to just have a conversation mm-hmm. and when to just be still. When you, you know, because you've been shooting there, right, for 15, over 15 years? Yeah, close to, uh, close to 20. Yeah, next year would make 20. Okay. So, when you take a look at the work now, as compared to the work maybe, you know, 15, 15 years ago, how have you changed? How have you evolved as a photographer? What, which, how do you work or what different choices do you make now? Oh, uh, so, oh, great question. Um, The first thing is, I think 15 years ago, I wasn't sure what I was doing. (laughs) First thing, I really was not sure. I did not have as much of a strategy. I just had like, you know, like a typical young, young man. You have all this energy and enthusiasm, but you know what? You are also too so curious to learn. Like it's leading you everywhere. And it was, and then as well as to, I would say, just the innocence, like how I would just innocently and also to with just good intentions in trying to be this activist and not having necessarily the platform of like, like, like of as an academic. I saw this was my way and my voice on how I could have, you know, an impact on the world or also to maybe assist others or challenge others to think differently, create conversations, you know what, raise awareness. I, at that time, not knowing when I look back, I can't even believe some things I've done. And I'm like, Looking back, I'm like, you know, this isn't so bad. You know, you did all right, Russell. But I, I realized, and now, just with my photography IQ at a much higher level, I now I could say I do more with less. Like, back when I started, I shot with 35-millimeter cameras. Now I really only shoot with medium format, so that's... 12 frames on some cameras or 10. And I am 
very precise with when I make a photograph, as opposed to 15 years ago, I wasn't necessarily sure on how to maybe construct or obtain the image that I wanted. So I just shot more and did some trial and error. And in getting some mentors along the way, reading some books, you know what, working with editors, I've just have come to see just how uh, to be excellent. You also too need to surround yourself with excellence. You need to, you know, find out what excellence is. You and I can say one huge part of my training too. You got to forgive me, Ibra. Next, I you know it did not mention was Kamonge, the African, the photography, the Black photography collective of Kamonge, has been a whole nother school for me as well. Eli Reed welcomed me into Kamonge in 2004, and the collective of men and women just raised my awareness about photography and as well as to and just help me grow as a man to also to take better pictures so with all of this i just have a certain level of 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 wisdom and knowledge i know how to get what i want and then you know what i know when to be patient and now i just you know what um i'm just that veteran now uh, I could say <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a veteran now and I, you know, with a still learning also too, but still a student, even though I'm a veteran, still a student because the technology keeps you young. You have to, you know, it always be um, in tune with what's what's the latest. But I know how to pretty much develop an image or construct the image, compose an image when based on the feeling, based on what it is I feel may be happening in the world, as well as to just knowing how to have a, a strategy and just not go out there and take some pictures. But then there are times where, you know what, you just need to be in the in the street and just see what's there. Yeah. Be present. And, and I enjoy all of it, quite frankly, every aspect of it. You know what? Every capturing everyday life and then, you know what, going to another part of the world like Ethiopia and then seeing life there and then, you know, what, capturing the essence of living there that we don't maybe know and the world doesn't know and educating and using, you know, what my my camera, my Triax 400, you know, are pretty much like as a piece of chalk. There you go. brother. You know, the, one of the things I've, 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 I've heard you talk about is how. You, you'll push sometimes to get your picture that you won't take that initial no as your, as your answer, right? <laughs> yeah. And you have a wonderful portrait of this elderly couple. Uh, the man is really tall. He has this very wide brimmed hat. Yes. Um, yes. I, I, and I really would love if you would tell my listeners that, oh, the, that story, because I think it really speaks to not only how you work, but the value of your work, not just to yourself as a photographer, but to the people you photograph in the in a larger community. Uh, that's the story of Miss, that's Mr. and Mrs. Brooks. Mr. Brooks is from Texas and Mrs. Brooks is, is from Harlem. And they were married 52 years at the time. I um, approached them. They were about to cross the street. 
I approached Mr. Brooks and asked him if I could take, if I uh, told him I was a photographer doing a book on the neighborhood and if I could possibly take their photograph. And before I could finish my sentence, Mrs. Brooks said no. And I said to her husband, I said, yeah, I said to her, I said, ma'am, you know what? I'm really doing something positive. I said, I'm going to do a book on the neighborhood and, and you guys just symbolize love and, and, and union. And we don't have enough images of that. And would love to hear your story. And Mr. Brooks was listening to me. He said, you're doing a book? I said, yes, sir. And he said, you're going to do a book on this neighborhood. I said, yes, sir. I said, I've been documenting the community. This was 2003 when I photographed them. So I was already doing the work for four years. And he said to me, you could take our picture. And Mrs. Brooks, I think in just amazement, she cut her eyes at her husband. And he said, come on, just straighten up. Smile for the man. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then she smiled. And, and um, that's the picture that you saw. I sent them a copy of the photograph. And then um, I shook his hand. And then three years later, I got a call from their, their daughter. And she asked me if I had any more copies of the picture. And I said, surely I could send. I asked them how they were doing. And then she said to me that her father had passed away. And that was the last picture that of, of them together. Mrs. Brooks then got on the phone. She thanked me for taking the for pushing, and she said, "You know, I gotta say you're persistent, and I'm and I and I've got to tell you, I'm really glad you did push." She said, "I didn't want my picture taken on that day because I didn't feel I looked most presentable, but you know that photograph just reminds me of what marriage is all about, and it's about trusting your partner and trusting your husband, and you know, and even though I didn't want to take my picture, I trusted my husband." And, you know, and that's our last photo. And then she said, you know, young man, I wish you the best of luck. And, you know, and then keep on doing good work. She thanked me. And then later on, she sent me a thank you card with $5 in it <laughs> to buy a roll of film. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's it just awesome. speaks to the magic that can happen as a result of not just going out on the street and making photographs, by, but connecting with people on the Absolutely. way that you do. Taking taking time to talk to people, you know, and I think in this way of life we have, I mean, everything is just with technology and the digitalization that we are living in. Everything is just digital. Everything is quick. Everything is fast. You know what? You slide your screen, you touch your screen, you double click. Uh, People don't. I mean, when you get a phone call from somebody these days, you know you're important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, people don't talk anymore. The human connection is just something. It's like a the human interaction is almost like a dying art form. I mean, I, rem- I remember when people used to write letters to each other. I mean, that you know what is so personal, and just how we are disconnecting. And most of all, it's almost like the normalcy which it has become mm-hmm. to, you know what, to not talk to someone, to not touch somebody and, you know what, to look someone in the eye, you know what I mean? To let someone know, um, Hey, someone who may not necessarily be what I would say the society may label as beautiful, you know what, or, you know what, or to dig deeper, to peel back the layers of, okay, of, of, of maybe what this image of a thug is and, you know, what, um, and talk to some brothers and, you know, and they find out, okay, so, hey, uh, why do you wear your pants 
you know, but I mean, off your waist. Yo, it's, it's the uniform for where I come from. This is the uniform. This is how I walk through where I live. And you know what? I can walk through easily. Hey, I have may have problems with the police. You know what? Or this also too just is what's what's hot right now. Or it's what's in style. But then also too finding out, okay, that this young guy just could be like your nephew. Um, in school, trying to get a job. Also too maybe needing some guidance. And then you really see how much you can maybe have an impact in this young man's life or this young woman's life. And the whole point of it is how, I guess, photography is, I would say, the uh, it's, it, it's the communication. It's a language of communication. It's a language of in- interaction. And with, you know, with my work, I just really want to, again, introduce the world to some good people who you may just judge, you may bypass, and to really take a moment and just don't judge. Give give some people a chance. And you know what? And we all aren't the same. We never gonna be the same. But if we respect each other for our differences, that's where you know where progress begins. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is that I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Wow. One? That's tough. One? (laughs) (laughs) If we go for the long admired, I'm wondering if you may have interviewed them already. I would go with this brother, Joseph Rodriguez. Okay, tell us about him. Incredible man, photograph, Spanish Harlem. Did also a book in L.A. called East Side Stories. Educator, photographed Hurricane Katrina. His story as a man, did a book called Juvenile, on juvenile delinquents. He struggled with some addiction in his early 20s, got locked up, came out, and through photography, just found the passion for living, ended up, you know what, graduating, going to ICP. He's an educator, took me underneath his wing and mentored me, guided me and so many others, and is constantly trying to just show the world also to, I think, another side of our people and is in the is in the streets you know connecting with the voiceless somebody who is just full of love and is a great man he's a teacher he's a leader and um, he's a fighter and he's about you know what social justice and for everything he's embodied he's given me a lot I would Love to give that to your viewers for them to look up. Like I said, his work, his book, Juvenile, Spanish Harlem. Um, the list goes on and on. He did a book also, too, I think, recently in in Mexico on prostitution. Um, and just how he, he also just tries to find humanity in those who may not even be at their best and how 
He is constantly just emphasizes not taking pictures, but giving back. So it's not about what you take. If people give you the privilege to take a photo with them, what are you going to give back to them? He has been a compass for me throughout my life. And I think uh, he deserves a, a little bit more love than what he already gets. Well, thank you for that, man. I really appreciate it. And I so appreciate having the chance to sit down and talk with you. It was a real, real pleasure. Even next, I can't tell you, bro. Uh, this has been awesome. Awesome. I am just thankful. I'm not sure. I would love to know how you found out about was, was somebody mentioned my name to you? Or <laughs> <laughs> how did this magic happen? Could I get a, a, a little insight on that? I'll, I'll tell you after the recording. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All, All right. right. Well, um, thank you, um, Iberonex. Uh, this was awesome and really look forward to hope. I hope our paths can cross, bro. And we can shake hands and give a brother a hug and you know what? Hey man, maybe even tap a, a beer glass, you know? Sounds so, good. uh, uh, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for doing what you're doing. And you've, you, you, you got an A team of, of photographers that you have interviewed, bro. And to welcome me into that class, hats off to you, brother. I'm tipping my hat to you. Thank you. Thanks to Russell Frederick for taking the time to appear on The Candid Frame. Find out more about Russell and his work by visiting russellfrederick.com. Remember that you are helping to make TCF a great show just by being a listener, but you can help us even more if you take the time to write a review in the iTunes store. If you've enjoyed and been inspired by this year's seasons of episodes, take the time to write a review today. It helps our ranking as well as spreading the word. Thanks to iJeep from the USA for their recent glowing review. You can also support the show by making regular monthly contributions through Patreon. You can contribute amounts of $2, $5, $10 or more or anything in between on a monthly basis and help make a big difference to the work that we're doing here at TCF. Visit patreon.com forward slash the candid frame or you'll find a link in the show notes and the candid frame website. Thanks to Tom Daly for his recent contribution. We appreciate you so much. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Our senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. Dot com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.